Wonderful. Well, I am going to go right into message for us this morning because we want to leave a bit of time and not be late with eating today. So we just finished the series on advancing the kingdom of God. And with that, with that series, when we were preaching last week, we made these uh, different statements, and I'm just going to re- review them. And it was that we are not normal, that we do not fit in, we are not the same as everybody else, and we are not average. You know, I think everyone just really feels dark in the dark now, so you can probably put that one light back on. <laughs> You know, here's the, here's the thing. As we were reviewing last week, statistically, born-again conservative Christians are about 3% of the population today in Canada. You know, 3%. And so while there's 55% that would, at this stage, would declare that they're Christians, there's 3% that are actually born-again, you know, Bible-believing followers of Jesus. So you are not normal, you're not the same, you're not average, and if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you've got to just settle that, that your priorities are going to look different than everybody else around you in the world. The things that you prioritize in your life, the things that you, the way that you live, the principles that you live by, what you do with your time is going to be different than the majority of people. You are going to stand out. You are going to be different. And that's part of the deal of giving our lives to Jesus. And sometimes we're like, I mean, I don't like that. And then it's, it's good. If you don't like that, then it's a good thing to go, maybe I shouldn't follow Jesus. But it's that stark a contrast for us. And, you know, sometimes we like to water that down and like to go, oh, yeah, no, it's all okay. But the truth is Jesus actually teaches us, you know, well, the book of Revelations where Jesus speaks to John. It's like he's speaking to one of the churches, a church that would be quite similar to ours today, and said, look, you're lukewarm. And if you're not hot or cold, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. And we, we looked at a lot of things last week. And so I just encourage you, if you I, I'm not going to re-preach last week's sermon on this. Uh, I really, if you weren't here, if you haven't heard it, I'd, I'd highly encourage you to go and listen to it because it's a real foundational thing for us for this year. And it should be a foundational thing for us as Christians, but it's something that God's highlighting, saying, hey, guys, be okay with the fact you're different. But we also said last week that if we did what Jesus said, where he told his disciples, look, go and make disciples of the nations. If we, as that 3%, If we all discipled one person every year and we understood what discipleship was and over that year that we discipled them, we helped them in that year become people that could disciple others. Well, again, statistically, mathematically, it would take five years to disciple the entire nation. Five years and everyone would be a Christian. So what, when we look, and we, when we were looking at statistics last week and saying that actually the number of Christi- Christian population is in decline, you know, there would be 83% in 1991 that would have declared themselves Christian, and there's 55% that would declare themselves Christian now, and again, only 3% that would really be born-again believers. We, we not only have our work cut out for us, but it, it shows us we haven't actually been doing what Jesus has told us to do. Because this, this, if, if that 55%, if the 55% of people that actually said they were Christians were, 
actually followed Jesus, our society would look completely different than what it looks like today. And so there's this there's a reality for us as born-again followers of Jesus. If he's our Lord, then taking seriously this thing of, hey, he said to disciple the nations. And it doesn't mean we're not all, you don't have to be an evangelist to disciple people. It's, it's every believer. You don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to be in full-time ministry. Every believer is capable of discipling people. And it's why we're going to be running this Christian Foundations course. It's not only for people that are new to Christianity or, you know, to come in, but if, if you don't know how to disciple someone, please take the course. If you would not be confident to be able to, if someone in your workplace or in your family, to be able to teach them Christian basics, please take the course so that you are confident to do that. And here's the, here's the interesting thing for us. We're, we're going to be, the, the series that we're doing right now is called Free and Responsible, and it's, it, we're going through our core values. And so one of the, one of the, we're, we're near the end of that. We'll finish it in January. But this core value that we're looking at is that we're free and responsible. And really, we could call this core value grace. We could call it a number of different things, but it describes the fact that what Jesus Christ has done, we're going to look at these scriptures, he's set us free, and that because of that freedom, we have a responsibility. You know, that we haven't been just set free so that we could have a good life. You know, we should, have, we, we, we should be filled with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control because those are the fruits of the Spirit. There we, we should have those things in abundance. That's what the abundant life looks like. You know, but there's a responsibility with that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control that comes from living a life protected and surrendered to our King that, that we get to share with this world. So, the first principle with this the looking at is that Christ died to set us free from sin and death. Fear, shame, in order to establish us in freedom so that we can live and love as God's glorious children. That's what Jesus did, right? His God throughout history, the quick version, you know, we, we have Adam and Eve, we have original sin, we have a period of time after Adam and Eve where people are trying to figure things out. We have the story of Noah. We have all these different things. And when we come to God, you know, we come to God giving us the, through Moses, the law. We have the prophets. We have people trying to earn their way to God through obedience and sacrifice. And none of it works. Until Jesus and Jesus comes, and he shows us God's way. He, he, he teaches God's way to his followers. He shows God's way. And then he does the, the ultimate thing because Jesus himself is the son of God, God incarnate, born here in the earth, you know, in human form. But as scripture tells us, encompassing everything of God, he does the unimaginable and, and dies for us, he becomes the perfect sacrifice. All the systems before that point to Jesus. They point to our need of Jesus and what he did. And what he did, he did this. He was that once and for all perfect sacrifice to set us free from sin, from death, from fear, from shame, in order to establish in us freedom so we can live and love as God's glorious children. 
Book of Romans, amazing book, you know, not an easy one to understand. It's one you've got to study, one you've got to read with the commentary, one you've got to really, because it's, just, it's again, we're reading in English something that Paul wrote in a completely different language and that was written over 2,000 years ago. Is, is God's word alive for us today? Absolutely, but we need to be able to grasp it. But this, the part that I'm going to read is a real simple statement from Romans, and it's from Romans 8, and it says... In Romans 8, verse 1 and 2, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life, as in the law of the gospel, the law of Jesus, has set you free from the law of sin and death, which is the law of the Torah, the law of the Old Testament. We've been set free from that. Jesus didn't abolish the law, he fulfilled it. He was the once and all perfect sacrifice for it. You know? And this is so important. Because we're free. Our, our relationship with God is no longer bound by rules. It's no longer bound by a, 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 the rules and law of the Old Testament. Does the law point to Jesus? Does it teach us things and ways that we can live? Absolutely. And I was having a conversation with someone, and they're like, well, what about the Ten Commandments? And I'm like, well, again, the Ten Commandments, they're now they're written on our heart. They point, to, they point to a way we're meant to live. But it's not that God's now holding the Ten Commandments over us. Paul says, he writes, and it's like, hey, you can go and live under these things, but now you're going back and living under the law. It's like, Christ, you don't even need Jesus. You basically are saying, I don't need Jesus, I need the law. And it's so important that we understand this difference because it's this beautiful difference that we live in. We live in the freedom of what Jesus has done for us. And it's only that freedom that can produce real change in our lives. Trying to obey rules will never satisfy you and will never bring you love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Because if you're trying to obey rules, then you're going to try to live up to those rules and you're going to also try to help get everyone else to live up to those rules. And you can't live up to the rules. And so you're never going to feel good enough. You're never going to feel like you make it. You're never going to feel like you're, you're living the way you're supposed to. And then, typically, we as humans, when we don't feel that way, we then go and try to get everyone else to obey the rules that we can't obey. And that wasn't what Jesus came to die for. Now, as I'm saying that, you might go, well, hold on, James, but, you know, we're supposed to obey everything that Jesus taught. Yeah, we are. You know, but remember what he taught. And he did teach us ways that we should live and the way he taught us what love looks like. He taught us, you know, and, and, and he himself said, look, you know what sums up all of the law and all of the prophets as in the Old Testament that they were following, the, the Jewish culture that he was speaking into? He's like, love God with all your heart, mind, and spirit and love your neighbor as yourself. Love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. That's what Paul writes in Galatians 5 as the fruits of the Spirit. 
And again, we say fruit. In other words, if we are people that live by the Holy Spirit, then, you know, if I'm an apple tree, the way you know I'm an apple tree is that I produce apples. You know, it's pretty simple. If oranges start growing on me, I can't say I'm an apple tree. The fruit that I produce, and Jesus used these agrarian uh, examples because he was speaking into an agrarian culture. So when, and, and so did Paul. So when Paul says the fruit of the Spirit, he's like, hey, if the Spirit's in you, if you're living by the Spirit, this is what your life looks like. Next point we're going to be looking at over these next few weeks is that freedom is very personal, but it's not self-centered. We have been given freedom so that we may present ourselves to the Lord as a willing sacrifice, surrendered and ready to serve. That's an incredible thing, right? Love God with all your heart, mind, and spirit, and love your neighbor as yourself. It means it can't be about you. It's about God, and it's about others. But you're in that, too. It can't just be about God and others, because you're loving your neighbor as yourself. So if you don't know how to love you, then you can't love other people. You know, sometimes, often the thing, and I, without me getting into whole long stories, but I went through this period in my life where, like, you know, a long period in my life where it's like it felt like everyone was rejecting me. But the truth is, the reason everyone was rejecting me is I'd rejected me. And so I was giving off to everybody else around me this thing of you should reject me. Because I didn't know how to love me. And thus I didn't know how to accept love from others. And so then ultimately it would just become this thing. And I'm not going to give a whole thing on this, but there's, there's this reality that what we don't know how to do with us, our relationship with God, we can't reproduce it in, in, in other things. You know, it's why it's very personal. We either have freedom or we don't. I wasn't free in that example. I was living under this thing of rejection. That wasn't freedom. That wasn't love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. It was pretty oppressive. So this freedom that Jesus has won for us at the cross, it is extremely personal. You know, it has got to. It's not theoretical. It's not for someone else. It's for you if you're a follower of Jesus. It's a thing where we've got to be like, man, I, I am meant to live in freedom. And if my life doesn't have freedom, I need to re-examine what I'm believing. I need to re-examine, you know, how I'm living. It's never because of somebody else. But also, my freedom, if it be, cannot become self-centered, if I have true freedom, I don't need the applause of people. You know, I don't need the accolades of people, but I need people. We need one another. Freedom is not, it's not about, oh, look, I'm so free, I just get to live on my own, and I'm good, and I don't need anybody else. No, that's not what Scripture says. It's not what it teaches. It's not anything of what Jesus lived. Jesus needed his disciples. We need one another. We need one another, you know? And we are, it says, true worship. True worship in the Bible isn't what we do on a Sunday. It's not singing songs. 
Again, I've spoke to the worship team guys. I'm like, hey guys, I'm not, we love what you do. And, and what we do on a Sunday, there's an absolute, it's a beautiful, amazing expression. And we get filled up. And I love what happened today. And we're not going to stop that. We're going to grow in that. But, but as, a, as a community, we also need to understand that's an aspect of worship. True worship, it tells us in Romans 12, is a life surrendered to God. You being a living sacrifice. It's like, if I really worship God, if I'm really a follower of Jesus, my life belongs to him. I'm free, and I freely choose to give my life to him. That's real love. You know, the worst marriage you can be in is one where you're there, you're stuck in. And, and I'm not saying, I mean, some people may find themselves in that place, and so it's a, a situation of going, hey, you know, that's something you've got to be working on and be taking seriously. But if we're contractually obligated to love someone, that's not love. Love is not based on contract. It's based on choice. It's why marriage is such an incredibly important thing, because you're choosing to put yourself into this contract, this covenant with somebody else. You're choosing. You're choosing to surrender. It's like, hey, my life belongs to you. Your life belongs to me. Again, the world doesn't get it, and a lot of the church doesn't get it, you know? And so we live conditionally. We don't, we don't live in love, and it's the same thing we do with Jesus, right? We're like, oh, yeah, God, I love you, except when I've got this other priority. Yeah, I want to give you my life, but actually... You know, I'll do that when I've got the house and when I've got the car and when I've got this and when I've got that and when everything is nice and secure and I've, and I've reached this thing, then I'll live for you. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm just using that as a bit of an example. But you name it. What, 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 what are the things that at times we just, like, if we're honest with ourselves, and we're like, man, actually, is my life belonging to him? And I'm speaking to the choir here. You know, many, we've given our lives to Jesus. But even as people that have given our lives to Jesus, we live as 3% in a society where 97% of the people, and that, you know, don't do that. And a lot of people that call themselves Christians don't do that. So we have to take seriously and ask ourselves the question, am I actually living for him? Or am I living for myself? If we're free, we know like what Jeff was saying today. You know what? I can do things, God, your way, even if it's countercultural to the world. Even if it looks completely different. I can trust you. I can trust you. Galatians 5, verses 13 to 14, it says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free but not to use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Third thing we're going to be looking at is that freedom and responsibility are inseparable. We experience true freedom as we cooperate with the Holy Spirit to produce the fruit of self-control and use our freedom to bless others. God doesn't control you. You know that God has absolutely no interest in controlling you. He demonstrated that in the Garden of Eden, Eden with Adam and Eve. And He still has no interest. You have free choice to follow Jesus. And you have free choice not to. 
Free choice to follow Jesus and free choice not to. You don't, you don't have to. He's not going to force you to. He's not going to force you to love him because he knows that that would not be real love. He created love. He understands how it works. There's no forcing. There's no, you must love me in real love. Real love is two people, or in the case of God and us, the creator of the universe and his creation. The creator of the universe has extended all love to us. He's done everything on his side possible. There's nothing more he can do. Our response, he doesn't force. He's like, hey, I love you. Do you love me back? If you don't love me back, that's, that's too bad. But God's not threatened and he's not going to change. And he doesn't force us to love him. He doesn't force us to live for him. So we either cooperate with the Holy Spirit and it produces the fruit of self-control in our lives and we can use that to bless others or we don't. But God will never force you to do anything. So if you're like, well, why am I still doing this? Well, probably because you're not surrendered to Jesus in that area of your life. And you can try in your own strength and your own ability to make that change, or you can invite God in. You know, and, and as the Old Testament shows us, we don't actually in our own strength have any ability to change. We're really not that good at it. But as we allow ourselves to be transformed by the renewing of our thinking and by the Holy Spirit working on us as we surrender to Him, man, it's amazing. And it's, it's just after, in Romans 12, where it says, hey, look, you need to be a living sacrifice to God, that that's true worship. It talks about then after that, that we need to renew our minds and not conform to the pattern of the world. And as we renew our minds, and we renew our minds by being surrendered to the Holy Spirit, we renew our minds by reading the Bible, we renew our minds by building up one another in love, we renew our minds by reading Christian books, we renew our minds by filling ourselves with, the. we, we are renewing our minds right now by being here. And, and this transformation of our thinking brings freedom. But, you know, if our priority is work, if our priority is all the different activities, our priority is other things, if we, don't, we go, I don't have time to read the Bible, I don't have time to, to pray, I don't have time to go to church, I don't have time to go to a small group, I don't have time to connect with Christian brothers and sisters, then we're basically going, ah, it's still about me. And I'm, not, I'm actually not going to prioritize God. I'm not going to prioritize the renewing of my mind. I'm not going to prioritize allowing the Holy Spirit to work in and through me. And thus, you'll never live in freedom. You'll never live in freedom. And you'll wonder why. Well, why is this? Why doesn't God just control me? It would be so much easier if God would just control my life and make me a good person that I could live the way I want to. Here's the thing. As soon as he started controlling you, you wouldn't want to be controlled. It's not how we're designed to live. It's not how we're meant to live. Two Peter, one, verses five to nine. I love this progression. Whoops. Yep. Yeah. He says. For this reason, 
Make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. What a progression. Make every effort It's just beautiful. He then says, For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But who does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they've been cleansed from their past sins. We, we don't want to be nearsighted and blind. But it's this beautiful progression. We add these things, and all these things are added to our life by God. They're added in our relationship with Him. But it's a surrendered partnership. If I don't do my part in the partnership, I'm not going to receive from it. If I don't love my wife, my marriage is going to become pretty stale. She's eventually, you know, may stay in that marriage by contract, by obligation. But if she's not feeling loved, I'm not doing my part. And if she stops, if, if ultimately I'm like, well, I'm not feeling much from this. I'm not, I don't feel like I'm getting much from you. I probably should first look at myself. Go, what am I giving? Am I loving? Same in our relationship with God. You know, it's so easy to go, well, God, how come you're not doing this? And why are you not doing this? And why is this happening? And why is that happening? And then it's going, well, actually, how, how am I growing? What am I investing into my relationship with Him? Am I, am I actually living as Scripture says, or am I just looking for the benefits? Last point we're going to be covering over these next little bit is that we are responsible for partnering with the Holy Spirit to continually develop the foundation of our character so our character can support our growing influence and anointing. Again, God's not going to force us to do anything. Our character comes out of every small choice that we make. And every small choice that we make is either make, renewing our minds and making us more godly, or it's taking us more, making us more worldly. There's no other option. This comes down to every movie that we watch, every song that we listen to, every book that we read, every conversation that we have, every choice that we make, every thought that we allow to run rampant in our mind. God's not controlling our thoughts. God's not controlling our choices. God's not controlling our actions. He's not going to. The more you allow, develop that relationship, the more his still small voice comes into your life and you're like able to discern much easier what is of him and what's not. And that's exactly what it says in Romans 12. We'll look at that scripture more back. He says, look, as you, as you renew your mind then you'll start to understand what God's will is, his pleasing and perfect will. 
But if you live like the world most of the time, your mind isn't going to get renewed, and you're going to have no idea what God's will is. And God won't, he's not going to zap you and renew your mind. You know, the wrong way of thinking is, I just need God to come down and give me a touch and everything's going to be perfect. Sounds great, but nowhere in the Bible does that happen. There's no example of that. It's hard, difficult, persevering choices. It's choosing God over the world. It's as we started out, it's going, you will not fit in. You're going to have to live differently than everybody else. It's not going to be easy to be a Christian in a society where there's only 3% of you that follow Jesus. It's part of the paying the price. It's part of understanding of counting the cost. It's part of knowing what it is that you're called to. It's, it's, but if we don't, right? If we don't, if we don't actually count the cost, if we don't actually go, oh, this is what it is to follow Jesus, then man, we're going to be like it says, those nearsighted and blind people, ineffective, and look back and go, man, we may have escaped that fire, but everything we built, it counts for nothing. Titus 2, verses 11 and 12, it says, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Again, the word is it teaches. The grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodly and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. It doesn't control you. It doesn't force you. But when we understand the grace of God, it teaches us. And we're able to live this thing out. But if we don't understand grace, then we're going to either... We're going to go one of two ways, and these are two things that Paul had to constantly address. Majority of the letters in the New Testament are addressing one of these two things. They're either addressing Jewish believers that were thinking that the Gentile believers had to live by under the law, which was not the truth. You know? And I think there's a lot of junk out there in Christianity today that we have to be careful of and we need to examine against the fullness of the gospel just because you've renewed your mind with it doesn't make it true. We can listen to preachers, we can listen to people that tell us things that are not true and we eventually appropriate it and go, that must be true. And we read the Bible through those eyes ignoring the stuff that doesn't. Science tells us this is what happens. Right? Is we see what we want to see. So if we don't know the gospel, we will see what we want to see and we'll listen to people that see that we, we, what agrees with us and we'll think that's truth. But it's not. You know? And you can't read the New Testament and believe that you have to live under the law. On the other side of this, on the other side of this, there were people that were like, woohoo, we're free, and because we're free, we can live any way we want to. And they were living selfish, self-centered lives. And that's the other error that's extremely common today, where the grace of God becomes a license to live in any way you want to. 
And neither one of these two things is true. The truth is Jesus has set us free. He's paid for everything. We no longer live under the law. God's not judging our performance by the law. He's not in any way, shape, or form doing that. We're free. We've been set free from the law of sin and death. It's not based on our performance. That is true. But on the opposite side of this, if we're living self-centered lives, Jesus is going, you don't, you don't know me. So while the one group of people is trying to earn their approval with God by the, by the obedience to rules, the other one are acting like a bunch of spoiled children who can, who can go like, I can live whichever way I want to. And Jesus is like, you know, he spoke about this. You know, but we knocked on the door, but we delivered people, uh, we healed people, we, we did these different things. And he's like, get away from me, I, I don't know you. The, the line that we're meant to, the narrow road, the narrow road we walk is incredible freedom, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control and a life voluntarily surrendered to Jesus. Voluntarily, where we like, God, my life belongs to you. It's not about me anymore. It's fully about you. And that's, that's the only Christian road. That's the narrow road that Jesus spoke of. It's the road of the 3%. But guys, if, if we'll live this, we will. You will change the world. If 12 followers of Jesus could turn the world upside down, what are 200 of us following Jesus going to do in this city? There's only a little bit of enthusiasm in that, and that's okay. Because, you know, I'll be honest with you, I, I hope that not a single person leaves because of this message. But, if you don't want to follow Jesus, why waste your time? And I, I just be real about that. Because you're going to be frustrated and you're going to wonder, where is God? And you're going to wonder, well, why isn't it working? Uh, it doesn't work if we don't follow him. We can't do it our way and expect God's results. It only works when we follow him. The world's way is never going to work. Following the Old, the old, the old Testament, it's never going to work. Jesus, Christ crucified, it's the only way. It's the only way. So guys, this amazing community of people, let's change this world together. You know? Let's put Jesus front and center in our lives. And you know, guys, if I've said something to you today that is, like, is out there for you, and you're like, well, I've always believed this, understand I have infinite patience for you. I have absolute, you know, I have absolute patience. This is not a thing of going, if you don't, if you have this wrong belief, get out. It's not that. I have absolute patience to walk alongside you. I just won't compromise on the truth. I have, so there's not one person here that is going to be rejected because you're not rejected by God and you're not going to be rejected by me or other people here. But I will keep calling you back to the truth because I can't waste my time on, on I, you know, there's just too big a job to do 
for us to go, oh yeah, it's okay, we can all just do it our own way and everything's going to work. We have Jesus and we have to follow him. We have to follow him. Wonderful. So you free, responsible, surrendered, amazing, awesome followers of Jesus, we're now going to celebrate together two things. One, we want to celebrate.